Hey, this is Dewey from Pure Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money. And I always try to find the best deal for sure uh, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help bring more in-person interviews, more travel, more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free. Uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go. Um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way. And uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing. And I thank you so much. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with guests about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of The Offspring, Thrice, Rancid, Rise Against, and more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Are you looking for a new set of scrims or a backdrop for your live show? What about wall flags to have at your merch table or online store? This is Dewey from Pure Pleasure, and I want to tell you about ArtistFlags.com. ArtistFlags.com has the lowest pricing and the best quality around. Their prices start at $119, and they can help you choose the best material and sizes for your band, all while keeping your budget in mind. Use the coupon code PEERFLAG, that's P-E-E-R-F-L-A-G at checkout to get $30 off your next order. Satisfied bands who have used ArtistFlags.com are Dance Gavin Dance, I Prevail, Darkest Hour, Senses Fail, Ice Nine Kills, Lorna Shore, Afterlife, and many more. Check them out today. We all listen to music, but what's happening behind the scenes can be a mystery, even for insiders. Get a look into the recording industry with the Future of What podcast. Each week, host and Kill Rockstar's president, Portia Saban, delves into a topic of interest to music industry professionals and fans alike by discussing important issues with great people who work every day to help artists succeed. Upcoming episodes include conversations with Open Mike Eagle, Top Shelf Records, and a peek at how songs make it onto hit shows like Atlanta. Find The Future of What online at killrockstars.com slash thefutureofwhat or on your favorite podcast app. Check out jabberjawmedia.com for more shows like this one.
What is going on, folks? Welcome back to Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas. Um, I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. And this week is no exception to that rule. We have Ben Weinman from the Dillinger Escape Plan and Draft Tongue Orchestra, also from Party Smasher Incorporated. Now, today was an awesome episode uh, talking to Ben, getting to ask a lot of questions I was curious about with Dillinger and artistic output. And, you know, he's always been known for doing things with integrity and uh, having a great time while he's doing it. You know, he's always having fun. The shows are intense and insane. Um, I've seen Dillinger about six times, and I have never once been let down. Uh, I've just been more and more blown away every time. So really stoked to have Ben on the show today. Um, We are on PeerPleasurePodcast.com. We are on Instagram and Twitter. We also have our Amazon affiliate link up on the website. Uh, 4% of those sales go to the show, help keep the lights on. Uh, We have stickers in the store, and we also uh, are a part of Jabberjaw Media, Uh, so definitely check out jabberjawmedia.com for a lot more shows, uh, music-based shows. We've got some new um, content of a comedy-based, like structured, uh, scripted reality show kind of uh, comedy podcast called Too Old to Date. Um, We just picked up Doc Coyle as well with uh, The X-Man. Uh, Portia Sabin from Kill Rock Stars with The Future of What. Uh, we just got stuff going like crazy. We even have a cocktail-based podcast called Poor Taste, so definitely check that out. Um, really excited about what's going on with Jabberjaw. Uh, really excited to be on Adobe Radio, where you may be listening to this now. Um, trying to keep the shows uh, you know, a good length so you get the most of it on Adobe, but if it does run longer than an hour, uh, as usual, it'll always be up on, on iTunes for download. Um, so a lot of great things coming up on the show. Uh, we've been having a, a blast doing these interviews, um, and today, like I said with Ben, was a really fantastic interview, really down to earth, just had a new baby, um, you know, and he's coming up on a time when, you know, something he's done for 20 years uh, is about to come to an end, and that can be scary, so, you know, uh, props to him for, for making that decision and, and doing what's right um, for the band and for himself and for his family. Um, I know a lot of people around that time, 20 years, start to retire from their careers, and then start to travel. But with him, you know, traveling the world for 20 years, probably going to stay close to home for a while. But but who knows? Some people you can't cage down. So um, let's go ahead and get into my conversation with Ben Wyman from Dillinger Escape Plan. Good. I'm good, man. I got my headphones on. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great, man. Can you hear me okay? Yep, great. Awesome, dude. So are you over in Jersey? I am. I okay. Am. Where are you located? I'm in Portland, Oregon. Cali. Oh, Portland, okay. Yeah, man. So I've been here Very since nice. two thousand. Nice. So moved oh, down killer. from Alaska and, and never looked back. <laughs> wow. So uh, Alaska, Portland, you got some beautiful places you're living. Yeah, man. I grew up uh, grew up in Alaska and moved to Portland to start touring, and uh, it was much easier to do it from here than having to fly down every time. And uh, right, and it was cheaper yeah. than Seattle at that point. <laughs> right, right. But 
Sounds good. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, dude. So you've been in Jersey your whole your whole life, then, huh? I have, man. I I, uh, I was born basically in the town I still live in. So <laughs> wow. If it wasn't for uh, touring the world for twenty years, I'd be a pretty boring dude, I guess. But yeah, that was uh, at least. I guess I guess that's kind of what keeps me here, you know. Yeah, you got some stability yeah. there and familiarity. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Dude, how far do you live from your childhood home? Um. I'll tell you, it's real far, uh, about 10 feet. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you next door? <laughs> I li- No, but, like, literally I can see my parents' house from my house. Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, that's crazy. Almost, uh, pretty unheard of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, so, and so congrats. If uh, Well, Maori told me you're having a baby on Saturday. And did I that... did. I, I had a baby on Saturday. Dude, congratulations, oh, uh, boy or girl. Thank you, thank you. A girl. Okay. Is this your first? So, it is. I have a, a stepson, but this is my first, uh, my first little baby. So man, that's a, fantastic. Do you have kids yourself? I do. I have three. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I've got three. I've got well, a you know seven, the drill. Yeah, seventeen-year-old stepdaughter, and then a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And uh, okay, man, they are a handful. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, my my stepson is five, and he's just. Um, He's a whirlwind, as you know. Yeah. Is your, is your five-year-old a boy or girl? It is a boy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's pretty normal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't know otherwise, but yeah, he's he's ball energy. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, my boy is a my boy is a maniac, and and so is my my daughter, three-year-old, is literally runs the house. It's crazy. Oh wow! Like she's just a diva, yeah. man. <laughs> I'm out a few years of uh, having to really probably. You know, keep my energy up. I think. So. Yeah, dude. I, so, are you guys back home then, or or is she still at the hospital? Yeah, she she's uh, at the hospital. I just came home today. Okay. To uh, to just get caught up on some stuff. I stayed over there the last two nights, and uh, she should be home tomorrow. So, okay. but everything's good. Good. Yeah. That's. I don't fantastic. know if any if it, uh, if any of your kids were C sections, but all three. Okay, so yeah, so yeah. it's kind of great, as you know, because it's like. 20 minute baby but then the recovery is a little difficult so exactly yeah we had a we had we tried for a regular birth with my son and didn't work 17 hours i think of labor and it was just we oh, just brought her in and my daughter came like two months early so like uh, emergency okay. <laughs> so that oh, was like wow. a five minute baby which was absolutely right, crazy literally. but yeah. dude that's awesome man and so you're going to be you got what? One more leg of this tour to go, and then you're home for for well, the foreseeable have, future. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's kind of weird. We do have um, like periodic touring, and then some summer stuff, um, and then uh, you know it, it, there's some stuff on and off until the end of this year. But then, uh, for all intents and purposes, that's it. It's over. Man. How does that feel right now? I mean, I know you've got other stuff going on. Like, you've got big events going on in your life. But, I mean, yeah. your family for the last 20 years is, is sure. going to be on on freeze. Like, is that – is it becoming – I guess are your feelings changing much that, from when the initial, you know, we're going to stop happened? I mean, is it starting to become more real well, or – Yeah, I think I'm definitely getting closure now. Yeah. I'm definitely feeling uh, closure. Um which is weird because it's weird to feel the closure while you still have shows happening. You know? Yeah. Um, but 
I will say that uh, that's a good question because there's been a lot of different stages, and I'm sure there's more to go that I don't even know about, and some of them may happen long after I've played my last show. Yeah. But um, I, I, I first started thinking about this idea of kind of making this album the final album and, and um, you know, kind of saying, hey, it's 20 years this is a good time to go out and feel like we're on top and that we're still creating music that we feel uh, is inspired and, and that we're still excited about mm-hmm. and that uh, while our shows are still energetic and we didn't, I, I never, I don't think anybody in the band wanted to ever go through the motions. And um, at some point, there's no way around that unless you consciously say, we're going to make the decision in this um, for that very reason. Mm-hmm. So, um, that being said, uh, I, I kind of came up with the idea in my head a little while before I even discussed it with the other guys. So I think I even had time to process it longer than they did. Uh-huh. And then when I brought it up to them, there was the whole kind of discussion about why I think it's a good idea. And, and, um, and that was like a little bit into starting to write our, our last album. Um, so some of it was written without that in mind, but a lot of it was written with the, the idea that we were going to be ending. And then of course, many, many months later, the announcement went public. So there was that stage of it. So to be honest with you, the craziest time for me was when it was public. Uh-huh. That just made it real. You know, when, when it publicly, it was announced that we are ending the band and doing it before an album comes out and before a touring cycle, not just at the, not at the end of it. And then you just disappear, but doing it and then seeing everyone, seeing people at shows, talking to everyone, doing interviews, talking about it publicly. Um, that, that was, uh, that was pretty heavy for me. That was like, wow. Okay. This is real now. No turn. (laughs) It's sad. It's out there. It's in the, it's in the air. Yeah. And that, I mean, what was that like when you, when you brought that up to the guys? Like, I mean, I know you're the only original member left and, you know, uh, you write most of the stuff and, and, uh, kind of what, what was it like in that it was in the practice space then when you brought it up or did you guys just have a big meeting? Well, we don't really, we don't really, um, write music all together in a room. It's typically myself and, uh, myself and our drummer because, um, there's a lot of interaction between me and Billy, and uh, we we pretty much write pretty pretty um, detailed like demos before passing it down the chain to the next stage of writing. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, Billy and I had been had been cooped up in in my basement studio for for many weeks writing, and then I so I probably discussed it with him first, and I and he was. Um, He's just really supportive always. He just trusts me. Uh-huh. Uh, he trusts he trusts the process. He knows I've been doing this a long time, and um, he's been there with. We've been with each other really through a lot of good times, bad times. You know, we've we've gotten very close by being the guys that's together the most during that process, mm-hmm. um, and and living fairly close to each other as well. So. Um, you know, I, I think it, with him, he just knows that I'm always going to be looking out for him. We'll most likely always be creating together in some way, shape, or form. Um, and we still had a very long cycle ahead of us. So, uh, again, like his kind of um, reaction was just really very supportive. Like, if, if you know, if you feel this is right, I trust that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think the next person I talked to was Greg, who initially 
like most people who are like fans of the band or worked with the band didn't really get it because we're putting out an album that is uh that that we felt great about that we were really excited about we're playing shows that are as visceral and um exciting than ever honestly we're, we feel like we're probably better than we've ever been mm-hmm. um so, so he didn't really understand why we would do that and my reaction was kind of like well that's exactly why <laughs> we should do that yeah you know that's exactly why and and I also wanted to make sure that uh, when we go, when we do we've been touring so many years uh you go out there and you and you feel like you're moving you're doing all these amazing things you're seeing amazing places you're meeting amazing people and that your home life is just standing still you mm-hmm. feel like oh everything at home is just staying the way it is and when I get home it'll still be there and I'll be the same old Mars Plains New Jersey mm-hmm. that it always was and and, and the truth is it's not it's like we really we're standing still. I think Greg actually kind of made that, that analogy that like, you know, although we're traveling and doing all these things, we're really doing the same thing every couple of years. It's like, we're making an album, going on tour, going all these same places, going all these same clubs, seeing all these same people, going home, making an album, going on tour, seeing you know, uh-huh. while our home lives are moving. Everyone we know is, is actually having children and getting married and people are dying and, you know, they're starting new projects and they're doing new things. And it's like, we've been concentrating so so much on one goal and one purpose for so long that it hasn't really enabled us to grow in other ways. So I think it's just about having the time to you know, go into a new stage of life and, and try new things while still feeling very proud about what we've done. Sure. And I mean, you're right at the point now, I mean, the 20 year mark, a lot of places is where people, you know, retire or, or in a normal career, you know, decide to, okay, it's time to cash in my pension and, and go travel, you know, the exact opposite. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, I've done that, and I and I don't have a pension, so <laughs> I can't yeah. necessarily retire, but, you know. But that's also what makes it exciting, because it's not like any of us are truly 100% going into the next stage knowing exactly what we're going to do or how we're going to pay bills. And, I mean, we all have some ideas, and some of us do other things, but Dillinger's definitely been our main focus and career for many years. Sure. And do you guys, are you guys uh, one of the bands that, you know, kind of splits things up evenly, you know, when touring and, and as far as publishing goes, like um, where everyone's pretty much, you know, taken care of as far as, um, I know a lot of bands nowadays do that, um, yeah. you know, where everyone's making the same um, so they can kind of, when they do go their own way, right. um, they have a little nest egg or a, a salary for a couple years that comes sure. regular. and well, I will say that, like, you know, for the most part, we do break things up pretty equally. Writing-wise, it's typically Greg and I, because mm-hmm. we've just been the constants for so many years, um, as far as, like, that goes. But, you know, it's not like we're a radio band where publishing is that much of a issue. Touring, t-shirts, that's how we make our bread and butter, mm-hmm. like, going out there, you know. Um, so we've always tried to make sure everyone was taken care of. But again, you know, you can't... That that's that's with a band like us, we really are going to have to figure out what the next step is, unless all of a sudden our logo becomes like the Misfits or something. <laughs> <laughs> Some then we're all going to be okay, deal. you know. But I doubt, <laughs> right? But I doubt that'll happen. <laughs> unless all of a sudden Dillinger becomes like Motorhead logo, where people wearing it don't even know what the band is, you know. Exactly. But I, I really doubt. I really doubt that'll be the case. <laughs> you need to put a call into Jerry Only or or Gene Simmons and figure out what to do. <laughs> How do you market? The, yeah, we just 
Yeah, yeah I don't know about that. Dillinger thermos or or a lunchbox right. head, and you know, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, man, so I, I I had a whole bunch of notes I put down that I wanted to talk about, but I I uh, I was kind of curious on one one major thing where. I know you came from, you know, humble beginnings and, and, uh, you know, just started writing music. Um, you know, I'm sure you didn't anticipate all this happening, uh, on the scale it has, but going from, you know, starting a band, admiring other bands, other, other players to then being called an, an innovator or, uh, referred to as this and that. As far as what you've done, I mean, how does that make you feel when someone does when someone you know refers to you as an innovator or a um, you know one of these? Um, I know you've got a lot of accolades for guitar playing. Um, does that feel weird to you? Do you feel deserving of that uh, moniker? I mean, how does that make you feel? I'm I'm curious on that. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Honestly, um, uh, you know, it's equal parts proud and equal parts like you know humbled and. Uh, it's equal, you know, like you always feel like when you're creating something with the right intentions or without any, or without necessarily certain intentions, I guess, better mm-hmm. say, um, you don't see the big picture. Like, like I've never really saw the big picture. I've only seen the next step. Like what's the next step? What's the next step mm-hmm. to keep going where I want to go or the next album I want to write or the next. And, um, you know, and that, that's been steamrolling for, for 20 years now. And, um, doesn't seem that different to me than the first riff I wrote for Dillinger and got together in a basement and jammed it and got excited. And um, I know that my intention when I wrote that first riff was just very simple and mm-hmm. very um, wasn't very it, it, it really wasn't that complex. Like the, the the ideology behind it was just like I just want to make something brutal and crazy and stimulating and uh, make some noise, and that was it. And then all of a sudden, a thousand decisions later someone says you created some kind of a genre or something, or you're a guitar player or something, you know, it's very, it, 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 it's never been one thing that we've done that's ever gotten us anywhere. It's just this billion dots that all got connected and you can't really see, you know, how far you've come to You just look back down, you know, down that ladder or down across the whole spectrum of the career. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like when so like it's hard for someone else to many people just see the total the total the totality of our career <laughs> and I don't you know mm-hmm. yeah. I see what I did yesterday you know or something like that so um, it's good to hear you know and it's it's cool that we hear it a lot more now lately with the announcements of the band you know a lot of older people who stopped going to shows or some music have come back out and have um, you know said very nice things and, and shown their appreciation and. So it's not. It's really nice, and um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think I ever feel deserving of any kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> accolade like that. You know, sure. You always feel weird about that. You know. Yeah. Well, being a humble person, I mean, of course, and and uh, but it's just interesting to go from you know from just sitting in a basement writing a riff to then you know getting all these accolades and and actually inspiring so many bands and. And, uh, you know, creating a huge imprint on the world. I mean, Dillinger's definitely done that and, and uh, you know, that definitely shows. And, and people know you guys do go about things the right way. I think that's why they respect you so much is because they can see the work ethic and the drive and how, you know, 
how driven you guys are and, and how you know, I've seen you guys probably six times and I have never oh, wow. once come away, you know, anything but blown away. Um, you oh, know, thank and, you. and just the intensity and, but everything is, everything is, uh, it's, it's like chaos, but everything is audible. Like you can hear everything. You can, you can absorb everything, maybe not all at once, but you can pick out, I mean, it's, it's, I, what I'm getting at, I guess, is it's one big picture on stage, which is everything comes across as one whole. Um, and you can sit there and pick it apart while it's going on. But for the most right. part, it just hits you in the face. And it's really quite impressive. That's definitely so. our goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That means a lot. That definitely means a lot. Um, because, uh, yeah, no, that means a lot. Because um, when we are doing it right, we know that it, it should come across like one giant unit you know it shouldn't be like individuals or individual parts it should feel like just a presence in mm -hmm. itself and um uh i guess in all fairness you know when you start out you're just kind of trying to imitate things you like and then you mess up and you do it poorly and then if you're smart enough or creative enough you see that mess up as as a quality that's unique mm -hmm. and you kind of start nurturing that so um if anything i just hope that we can influence people to um keep that in mind you know stay creative stay playful um sure. not worry too much about what they think supposed to happen or what they're supposed to be and just find that hole that they fill by following that that uh following those little happy accidents and turning them intention turning them into in uh, intentional things you know so um for us it's like a lot of mistakes and a lot of who knows you know, why we made certain decisions, but all I know is that certain things worked for us and those things have been creating music that we truly believe in, making music that moves us, um, doing things for what we think are the right reasons, and um, that seems to have worked best for us. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's times, and I know there's times when we've done things for the wrong reasons or we've done things that uh, we regret. And luckily, early enough in our career, we learned what worked for us, and that was to not follow trends not be, um, not do things for money or for girls or for whatever, not care about those things that you can just find out about by looking at someone's Facebook page or, you know, going to a warp tour and seeing what's popular for us. It's been just following our own path and that's just worked for us. Mm -hmm. It's always worked for us and it'll always be the way I do everything I do because that's, I cannot sell something to anyone that I don't believe in. I'm sure. just not good at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so, so if anything, you know, I can't say necessarily we thought about those things intentionally in the beginning, but I will say that if we can inspire people by that now, I'm very happy. Absolutely. And you, and he, I mean, you're not a salesman. That's what, that's the funny part is you're selling things just on your own merit. You don't have to, you don't have to try. Like it's, it, you're, you're making something pure and people gravitate to that. And it, I mean, that's, what's the best part is you're not a salesman. I mean, you just happen to sell things. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, well, exactly. I, I mean, to me, it's uh, it's all about selling honesty. Yeah. And that's that's what we sell. We sell. We try to sell. We do our very best to sell a big bag of honesty. Mm -hmm. And it's like if, if if people feel that, then they believe in. They believe you're telling the truth. They believe you feel what you're saying. You think you feel what you're doing is important. You, they believe that when you're playing and you're performing, that you believe it. Then they'll trust you. You know, and that enables you to have a career. 
yeah. uh, enables you to take take risks. It enables you to try new things and, and still be within the realm of what you are. Mm-hmm. So um, I tell that to everybody, whether they're starting a business or they're they're doing any kind of art. I mean, to me, all of it's art, you know. And uh, so to, to me, that's just the lesson of how to sell art. Yeah. You know, <laughs> how to sell uncompromised art. Make sure <laughs> that when you're doing something, it comes off honest because then people will follow it. Yeah. I absolutely agree, and it, I think it's worked well. And I mean, you've literally bled for your art. I mean, you guys get hurt all the damn time. I'm always seeing pictures online of like you know bloody faces and fucked up eyes, and yeah. I mean, it's just intense. And so, I mean, you you've been all in for 20 years. I mean, you've been self managing yeah. the band. How did that come to be? Uh, just just out of necessity, you know, when you're when you're uh, young guys playing music that sounds to most people completely unsellable and unmarketable. Mm-hmm. There really isn't a business upside to some manager to a manager, uh, coming in and helping you handle your career. You know, most people heard Dillinger and they were, um, kind of like, yeah, <laughs> good luck with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, whether industry people and management people or whatever. So in the underground, uh, hardcore noise and metal scene, there weren't managers. It mm-hmm. was just young guys doing everything themselves, putting out albums and making music and putting on shows. Uh, so we just had to do that very thing. And as we started to grow and started to get more of a fan base, um, we ended up realizing that there was nobody who could really understand or know, or like I said, sell what we do better than us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and throughout the years, you know, we've, we've worked with people, we've partnered with people to help us do certain business things. You know, it's not about necessarily doing everything yourself, but it's more about doing it your own way. Yeah. Okay. More than just doing, it's not about doing everything yourself, but it's about doing it your way. Yeah. You know, so yeah. we've made sure to, to hold on to that no matter what. And that makes absolute sense. And I mean, when you're, when you're making these decisions, I know, I know the band trusts you in this, but do you feel at all, and I've asked some other people this that have done the self-managing thing, but um, that you may be not biased, I guess, but influenced differently on some of the big decisions where an outside manager may be able to step back and say, hey, that's a bad idea, or do you feel like you've been able to do right? Absolutely. Uh, You know, I think it's been extremely difficult doing that over the years. I think um, it's made it it's a very stressful thing to do for your own band, especially if you're a full-time band all the time. You're not Mm -hmm. typically getting paid anymore. Um, You're typically resented sometimes because you're um, privy to information first or instead or have to make certain decisions or Mm -hmm. are the one people call on first or whatever that is. Um, And that's not healthy in in a relationship like that. It's not necessarily healthy, but it's also sometimes gratifying to know that you and your guys are responsible for for the for not only the mistakes but the success as well so mm-hmm. and it's also extremely uh gratifying to see that 20 percent in your bank account <laughs> yeah. like me writing a check to like our drummer and it being like enough for him to live his life off of playing drums as opposed to like saying go work at a pizza place because we had to cut a check to this manager uh-huh it's pretty gratifying, I gotta say, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, creating a, I mean, 
that's uh, being self-sufficient doing what you love i mean that's that, that's the ultimate yeah. goal i mean <laughs> so many people don't get to experience that even once in their life and let alone for 20 years you know and uh when yeah. did when did dillinger become self-sufficient as far as you know from from calculating in the eps to to now when was it that you guys were able to just focus 100% uh on on music good question um so I guess 1997, we put out our first kind of demo EP, uh-huh. uh, and I was working in a record store. Uh, it was this record store in New Jersey, and apparently um, I was too young, but my, my manager would tell me stories of Danzig coming in with Misfits demos and begging him to listen to them. Jeez. <laughs> you know, and... Um, uh, and it was actually another person who worked there with me was Eddie Trunk, who's now a famous radio j- disc jockey. He did he was the host of that metal show on VH1 Classic. Uh huh. Um, he still lives down the street from me, and we hang out all the time. And he tells me stories of being on Kiss's plane or interviewing <laughs> Axl Rose or something, you know. Yeah. But we uh, ultimately we we have working in this little record store in Cotton. <laughs> um, and then uh, in 1998, 99, I graduated college with a psychology degree mm-hmm. and a minor in uh, graphic design and started doing web design and programming at a big corporation while writing music and eventually uh, recording our first full-length album in 1999, which mm-hmm. was Calculating Infinity. Um, Shortly after that, we hit the road with Mr. Bungle for two months, so I obviously had to take a lot of time of work off for that. Then eventually started getting all kinds of touring opportunities, including you know, playing in Japan on Pantera's last show ever. Holy Pantera. shit. Pantera. Yeah, we actually played the last Pantera show. Uh, we didn't know at the time, Yeah, but it ended up being the last one. Um, and uh, eventually just having to tell my work that I... I gotta go. You know, I, I can't. I can't do this, and I had to make the choice. And we weren't necessarily financially in the best place yet, uh-huh. but we certainly couldn't hold jobs. So we just, you know, I got rid of the stock options, and uh, <laughs> I, for, and I, I quit the job, broke up with the girlfriend. We all did the same thing, and we just hit the road in a van, and and it was pretty bad. You know, like it was very difficult. I mean, we were making fifty dollars a show sometimes, or at most $200 and, mm-hmm. you know, that would basically cover gas and the peanut butter sandwich, you know, if we were lucky. Yeah. So yeah. we did a couple of years of sleeping on floors and, and roughing it and living in our parents' house if we had to. And, um, and then eventually it just started to slowly because of being self-sufficient and optimizing our business and figuring out how to do things with as minimum, with minimal middlemen. But, uh-huh. um, figure out where we did need the people to do what we can't do mm-hmm. and uh it started to become a sustainable business man that's intense man i i i applaud you for that because i mean and and you also now you have something to fall back on too there with that degree and and uh experience and all the experience you've gained now um you know, well, I, yeah, I think more psychology has been gained from being in a band for 20 years than, than any. I mean, I, I think all of you seen that Metallica uh, documentary, Some Kind of Monster, it's like, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We're all pretty much all pretty much nutcases in bands, and we're traveling <laughs> together in small quarters, so it's a 
pretty interesting dynamic. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, the the playing Pantera's last show in Japan and in, in Japan, that's badass. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, um, it was. It was pretty crazy. I mean, it was crazy. I remember Phil being um just completely drunk and just assaulting the uh crowd with insults. Oh, Jesus <laughs> it was Christ. Pretty intense. Pretty intense. <laughs> well, you've gotten to meet a lot of your, I, I assume, a lot of your, not, I wouldn't say idols, but people you looked up to. And, well, yeah, for and, sure. Uh, I mean, I watched an uh, interview you did with Mike Patton, and just yeah. watching your demeanor, you know, like telling him, seriously, like, you you taught me so much. about. And then he's he's kind of playing it off, you know, like, no, I, you know, I just did what you guys yeah. want me to do. Do you find that most of these people, when you meet them, that they're pretty humble people, or have you been kind of let down at points? You know, they say you never want to meet your heroes. Yeah. Um, and um, sometimes there's bands that I think are okay, you know, and then I meet them and I really just decide, well, you know, they're on the edge with me, and if they were cool, it might tip to one side, and if they're not, tips to the other side. Mm-hmm. But then there's those people and those artists that I love so much that are so special to me that even if they weren't nice to me or didn't like me or thought my band sucked, I'd still like their music. And there's only a few of them. And I've been very lucky to have met some of those people and had them respect what I do. So I've had like a pretty cool perspective, um, mm-hmm. you know, meeting these people through the music that, that I make. Um, and having them kind of know my band before they know me yeah. and, and, you know, so that's been a really lucky thing. So whether it be Mike Patton or, or Trent or, uh, you know, or, or any of these other people or even just producers or artists in general, it's been with some kind of a respect that I'm a peer, at least in the creative sense in some way. Uh-huh. So, um, I've been really lucky, you know, as you can see from that Mike Patton video, like yeah. you know, he's, he's been a close friend for many years now. And, and I still, you know, we still talk personal on a personal level often, you know, and uh, sometimes I got to sit back and remember how important he was to me when I was younger as just an artist mm-hmm. um, without knowing him personally. So, uh, and remember how blessed I am, you know, not to, you know, not like in a religious way because I'm not sure. but, like blessed in just life and like, you know, spiritually yeah. to like had that synergy and that kind of serendipity to like meet these people. And I mean, even people like, um, Kim Thale from Soundgarden, I, you know, I, I've had these amazing opportunities where like one day I was just, or actually like a week, I was just listening to Soundgarden constantly. And then, you know, it was just out there in the air. And then somehow we ended up getting in touch through another person who was like, you guys should talk. And then we ended up making music together. It's like, that kind of stuff has happened to me, and um, it's amazing. I don't take it for granted at all. Sure, and that's and Kim Thale. That's amazing. I didn't know about that one, but the um, you guys are doing some shows with Soundgarden on this next festival deal, right? Yeah, and, and we up? play we play with them as well. Um, we did uh, a East Coast kind of leg of the Nine Inch Nails Soundgarden run a few summers back. So that that was great, and that's where you guys were on stage with with Nine Inch Nails, right? You and Greg. Well, actually, no, we we did that. Actually, we we weren't on tour with uh, Nine Inch Nails. We had just um, played some festivals in Australia, and then and Nine Inch Nails was headlining, 
and we were friendly and he, and he had heard the cover we've done of Nine Inch Nails and we have mutual mm-hmm. friends and we were just talking and he said, you guys should come out and, and, and play with us, play the encore with us. So then it kind of became a tradition when we were in town or around to come out and just perform with Trent. But it, it wasn't until that tour that we actually played with Dillinger and Nine Inch Nails. Uh-huh. Like that was the first time Dillinger actually played alongside. It was usually just us kind of jumping out and playing Nine Nails songs, which was a dream come true. Jeez, yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like doing the ultimate, ultimate cover song, but with like the real guys, you know? Like, yeah. So, I mean, was that just, I mean, so, and, and an experience like that, like I, that's something people rarely experience, but I mean, going from being a, a kid to, and listening to these records to, Standing yeah. on stage and looking over and Trent's right next to you, you know, doing what he does and you are playing it. I mean, that has to be surreal. I had Mike Watt on the show a few weeks back and, and well, it's coming uh, out. Oh, cool. It's coming out next week. But um, I Great. asked him, like, what's it like going on stage and looking to your right and it's Iggy Pop? Like, what the yeah, fuck? No. And he yeah. went off into some crazy rant. But... uh you know, it's just it's just one of those things where not a lot of people get to experience. Like, what was that like for you? Just looking over. I mean, I know there's a lot of lights and everything going off. Um, right. But no, what did it, you it feel was, right it there? Unfathomable. Like, I mean, I still it bugs blows in my mind. Still, it bugs me out. Like, you know, I watch the video every now and again. Someone will be like, bring it up, or and it's still um, feel like a little kid. You know, I feel like a kid on. A candy store, you know. <laughs> yeah. Really, you know, it was. It's very cool to, as an adult, get to have those feelings, you know, every now and again throughout the history of that this band, where you realize, wow, maybe we are doing something semi-important if we can be, you know, I guess in the same playing field in some way, shape, or form as some of our heroes, or at least, you know, sitting next to them at lunch, yeah. <laughs> at the very least, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But we are, you know, for all intents and purposes, we, we are a small band. You know, we've never broken big or been on the radio or anything like that. And so it surprises us when anybody knows who we are. Like every now and again, I'll go to the store and the guy will be like, hey, man, Dillinger, you know, and it, I can wait. Blows my mind or, you know, someone will. The UPS guy will be like, how was tour? And I'm like, what? You know, like, it still blows my mind all the time that anybody even knows or cares who we are to this day. Still, honestly. That makes I think Greg actually always says to me, I think Greg always says, he's like, I think you have like a, a weird, you know, dysmorphia, like band dysmorphia. Like you don't realize, like, I think you, we're bigger than you think we are. I'm like, I don't know. We're just, we just, like, we're like a little punk band. I don't know. You know? Yeah. Like, this place, I don't like. We're very niche, small. You know, sure. that's how I feel. Well, and I'm sure Greg gets recognized just as much as anyone else. I mean, uh, you know, of I'm course, sure, being yeah. the singer, and then I, I, you know, he's doing his side work too with with other players, yeah. just like you are. But uh, totally, you know, being a front man, I think he may get recognized more often, and maybe has that. Maybe he has the dysmorphia that he's getting a he's getting a <laughs> uh, skewed. Uh, uh, what do they call it in sociology? Where you take a group of people, like he's getting a skewed. Uh, uh-huh. uh, uh, well, he also lives in like L.A. Yeah, and I live in a small town in Marsh Plains, where you know when Juliet Lewis stayed at my house and we worked on music, like we could walk down the street. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so, 
it's maybe, but at the same time, regardless, you know, obviously when you're in a, an environment where people know your band, it's different, Mm -hmm. but it's not like we're, you know, part of pop culture or anything, you know, it's not like, so. But things, I mean, with the internet and everything, I mean, you have just as much of a chance to influence pop culture as much as anyone else, which is also crazy to think about. You know, because you're so accessible crazy, to people Anna, now. Anyone is, can just pop yeah. on Spotify and listen to your entire catalog, like, you know, or or put yeah. in a commercial or something. You know, it's it's crazy. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, has that it is crazy? It's an interesting time. Has that? I mean, the the advent of the internet, and I mean, you coming through that time. It, did you see like a? Uh, I guess did it improve things for you? You think, or did it hinder things for you? As far as. Um, I mean, I know financially it probably hindered things, but as far as growing your fan base and and being accessible, you know, you know what? I think I feel like for us it didn't impact us much at all. Like, you know, I don't think it hurt us, and I don't, I don't think it helped us. It, it it must have helped us. Mm-hmm. You know, people definitely have just you know, there's definitely more discovery happening with the internet and the tools that we have digitally a lot more discovery, but we were kind of an independent band. We made our bread and butter touring and selling sh- frugal and not having a lot of middlemen. And then when the industry, you know, I saw the industry start to like turn, uh-huh. you know, um, around, you know, like a couple years into Dillinger, those major label deals were drying up and those indie bands that were doing good on small hardcore labels weren't getting scooped up for a million dollars anymore off of it, you know, and mm-hmm. um, the, the checks weren't being written and even bigger bigger major label bands had to start to learn how to do things on a budget. Um, and consequently, I became kind of valuable because I knew how to do that. So I, I ended up kind of consulting for some bigger labels and managers and helping them do things. And um, uh, where I do see it being very interesting is with my work I do now. I'm managing an artist um, named Kimbra, who um, really, the internet has really been a huge, huge part of her success. Uh Um, Because she wasn't somebody who was out in a van touring. You know, she's basically like a pop artist on a major label. Yeah. And um, she was, uh, a lot of people know her from, singing on that song uh somebody i used to know that gautier song oh yeah okay she was the Mm -hmm. right so she was the she was the female of that duet and that song just got so much traction on youtube the video (laughs) and the song like millions and millions like 700 million views or something like that and Uh a lot of people said who is this who's the girl let's go down the rabbit hole and find her music and her videos and like you know i was i've been able to watch that happen and that's very very interesting that's yeah. definitely very interesting, but but a different animal because like you know we grinded, you know we we we've been hitting the road just grinding, you know mm-hmm. playing and and having most people know who we are and um, follow us and t- and kind of by bring bringing someone to our show, seeing us play live, you know stuff like that. Yeah, just grassroots. Grassroots, yeah, hundred yeah. percent, and and uh, so well, that's awesome. I I, I heard the I heard the. Um, uh, the Gautier song, of course, probably a billion times. I, my my wife loved that song, yeah. and it's all over the radio and everything. Yeah. And, and I definitely see what you're saying there. How you follow the rabbit hole? Like, wait a minute, 
who is that? You know, right? Um, sure, sure. Well, when you, I, I wanted to know. I've asked this to, uh, I asked this to Colin from Circus Survive. I had him on the show, and and uh, you know, how present are you on stage at this point after twenty years? Is it more like a a full, just like energy blast release with muscle memory, or are you actually really uh, focused on what you're doing? Um, you know, of course the music no, is insane, I, but yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, I honestly don't know how to do it any other way. And that's, what's kind of scary because I am pretty injured in this, you know, after 20 years of doing this and mm-hmm. playing sometimes 25 shows in a month, if not more yeah. in a row, you know, or, um, and, um, all that, like I, you know, the fact is, is that there's just no other way to do it. Um, for us like that's mm-hmm. how we do it that's what dillinger's about it's one and the same like um and uh yeah i don't think i could see dillinger being just like a like a band that sits sits around or just plays the music it like when i write this these riffs i write them seeing if i can summons that energy while i'm writing it mm-hmm. you know if it feels like i can summons that kind of visceral energy then i know it's right so uh, it's really important that they go hand in hand because in the beginning, that's what this band was for. It was for uh, expressing and cathartically like venting the day, mm-hmm. you know, in the week and just being normal suburban dudes. Like this is our opportunity to like, you know, not be responsible for ourselves and just be uh, complete, have complete, um, you know, un- Hinged artistic expression, you know. Yeah, just a full release of everything. Yeah. Do you find when you're at home for an extended period of time that you start to get uh, not necessarily antsy, but maybe like uh, even temper, like you know, get uh, annoyed at things easier, or uh, um, you know, I noticed I noticed when I was during like after we come home, I'd be home for a week, and I'd start to get you know, upset at stupid things. Whereas every night I was blasting out everything I had and felt complete freedom. Uh, do you find that, that you are a different person at home as far as without having that nightly explosion? Uh, I don't know. I will say that, uh, you know, there hasn't, (laughs) there hasn't been that much time off for me where there's been a ton of time without having some kind of a show coming in a month at mm-hmm. least or something. But, um, but I will say that after a tour, a tour for a month or two months playing around 10 o'clock almost every single night for that long, when that time comes and I'm home and I'm sitting down, I get so much energy and so anxious. Like if somebody said something wrong to me, I'd probably rip their head off. Like, <laughs> you know, you're just so conditioned yeah. to just get into that mode. Uh, and it's just your body. It's amazing how your body just gets on that clock. Uh-huh. So, um, I do notice that when I don't have, you know, it wears off when you're home and you start doing normal things and your schedule change. But for the first like week, at least after a tour, it's like clockwork, man. Yeah. I'm like, I almost, I feel like I gotta like just cage myself up. <laughs> Well, with, with, with Dillinger, so like pre-show, pre-show rituals with Dillinger, are there any? Or do you guys, you know, meet up and kind of wait for the music to come on and lights to go out and, and do something? Or do you guys just kind of hang out and just blast out there? Uh, 
think it's different for everybody. Uh, Liam, our bass player, meditates for mm-hmm. like 20 minutes, just all by, you know, quiet. I mean, he could do it around anything, noise, music, whatever. You'll just see him in the corner with like a little timer on his phone, just uh-huh. going, doing his thing. And then um, everybody's different. I mean, I need time to be, I need to be by myself for like 10, 15 minutes at least, if mm-hmm. not more. I need to just not talk. I can't talk. I've got to just get get myself in the mode. I'm always very nervous yeah. before going on stage. Well, what do you do in that anxious, in that time by yourself? Anxious. What are you thinking about? Like, are you thinking about something specific, or you just just need to clear your head and just, and, and enjoy just, being nervous? I'm just very anxious, and I have attention deficit. So it's like, um, you know, the crazy Dillinger, a million risks going and a million things happening is what. Con- almost as meditation for me. Mm-hmm. So that silence before the storm is very, uh, I get very anxious before that. So uh, if somebody's talking to me or two people are talking to me or I'm trying to just get changed into my clothes and somebody's talking to me or someone's asking me something, I start to just feel like I'm crawling out of my skin. I just need complete silence and then go time. You know. <laughs> I see. Yeah, just to focus your energy I don't on know the why, nervousness. But, yeah, just to, exactly. Just to just be able to just be in that moment. Well, it shows. I mean, it shows you're 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 dedicated and you enjoy what you do and it's important to you. I mean, I think Ozzy said that that you know the day he stops being nervous before a show means he doesn't care anymore. You know, and and uh, that's a that's a big deal. I mean, you can ride that nervousness, yeah. you know, to something great. And and uh, man. That's awesome. I I wanted to know uh, a little bit about what you're doing now with with uh, Giraffe Tongue Orchestra and kind of how that band came about. I know we've talked a lot about Dillinger and and that's kind of the path that things are wrapping up on. But what are the what are yeah. the plans for Giraffe Tongue Orchestra and how did that kind of get together? Well, man, honestly, it's been years. Um, Brent Hines and I have been friends forever. Uh, Mathenon and Dillinger have kind of been brother-sister bands for like 16 years. We were on the same label together. We toured together many times. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're all really good friends, the whole band. And um, and Brent and I just like having kind of like these very different guitar styles, but then also being rooted in blues where we just could sit and jam blues for hours. Mm-hmm. Thought it would be interesting to, to make a band together, especially since we were running into each other so often throughout the years. And we had tried for so long. We had jammed with all kinds of different people, messed around with different kind of musical ideas, um, and it just never was happening for one reason or another, just chemistry or timing or whatever just wasn't happening. And then one day we finally got in a room with Thomas Pridgen on drums and Pete Griffin on bass, myself and Brent, and our my Dillinger producer, Steve Evitt. We all got in a room and just made an album, like, and, and obviously there were ideas and risks and things that had already been pre-conceived and, and written, but a lot of it just happened by the magic of having the right people with the right chemistry in, in the room. Sure. Um, and so it was like kind of, like I said, it was something that really was birthed, or the idea was birthed many, many, many years ago. It mm-hmm. just hadn't materialized until the, like, the right group of people just got got together which was just you know a few years ago uh, when we finished this album and just put it out recently actually mm-hmm. so. okay and is that something you continue or plan to continue working on uh after dillinger's over uh yeah you know it's not something that's a rep- 
replacement for Dillinger. I'm not looking to go out on the road nine months out of the year with this band. I don't think anybody is. Uh, oh, yeah. We're all busy with all the other things going on, but we're all really proud of it. And, and we just played our first show in, in America um, last weekend in Austin at South by Southwest at like a, a showcase I put on with a couple bands I, I work with. Mm-hmm. And um, it was fun, man. It was fun. I mean, it's weird to not, I think we're all in bands where we're much more of an oiled machine where we've toured and played forever. And, and this is just kind of guys getting together and be like, I hope you did your homework. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, let's play. And, um, so it's exciting. It's exciting. Sure. Well, excellent. And I, I we have a few minutes left here. I wanted to talk to you about party smasher a little bit. And, and, uh, I'm yeah. having uh, JP's coming on the show on Wednesday. Um, and I noticed oh, he's a part of that. And I kind of wanted to know kind of the story of that. How that came about, what it's about, what it's doing—it's uh, just like a—it's just a collective of creatives, I guess. I mean, simply as that, I guess. But is there a little more to it, or or how did that come to be? Yeah. So initially, it was just a name that we were putting on Dillinger albums because we were we were coming out of a contract for many years off one label, and we were doing one-offs and collaborating with different labels and weren't sure exactly what the future held for us on the, like the business front, but we knew we were going to continue putting out music. We just didn't know what way and what the future held as far as the best way to do that. Uh-huh. Um, and so we started using the party smasher Inc umbrella as a way to have everything under, under one roof, mm-hmm. um, regardless of like distribution or if we did it this way or that, put it out ourselves, put it out with a partner, put it out, um, and, and then people kept asking me, they're like, well, what's up with this label? Can we sign to the label? Are you signing bands? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, it's not really, I mean, who wants to be a record label yeah, <laughs> in <true>. this day and age? It's not exactly like, you know, the best business idea. Yeah. Um, but the idea of releasing our own music and continuing to be independent as much as possible was very attractive. Um, so we decided to, to uh, nurture this thing, and then I realized, well, you know, at the same time, in this day and age, no, you can't really be a, like a record label, you know? It's more about just being a media label. It's about just supporting artistic uh, invention and endeavors, and um, and most of that, could some of that's in the form of music, some of it's in the form of just, like, you know, people who are proactive and doing things their own way, and like I talked about and um, creating their own path to doing things. And I just find that those people are really inspiring to me. When I ask people who've done something interesting, I love asking them their story. I was saying like, how did you get where you got? Like, how did it start? Like, show, tell me the, the steps, you know? And when yeah. they tell you those steps, it's really interesting. And it does kind of give you an idea of how they got where they got very easily and, um, and what kind of person they are. And that kind of, and it's, those kind of people you can see we're going to succeed somehow. Yeah. You know, they're just Mm -hmm. those kind of people. They have that DNA. And so, um, it's interesting for me to just kind of talk and discuss and showcase people with that DNA. And so the idea now is then to grow that network and to, um, expose some of those people more now that I have more time and I'll be off the road and I'm building the network and more people. And a lot of my friends and interesting people have gotten involved Mm -hmm. and are going to get involved. There's some great things happening that you'll see probably within the next few months as far as development. And, um, and on top of that, obviously we put out the Dillinger record, this GTO record, Mm -hmm. um, a band from Brooklyn who run this amazing club 
it's called St. Vitus, uh, called Primitive Weapons. Okay. Um, and now we're going to be releasing this, this band from Sweden called Godmother, who we played some shows with and are just amazing. Just, they just, like, make me feel young. Like, one of those bands that you're like, <laughs> God damn, these fucking guys. You know? Like, jeez. Yeah. So it's exciting. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Ben. And, uh, you know, I, sorry about the time change mixed up and, and all that this morning. But, oh, no, it's um, all good. It's all good. Dude, I, I really appreciate your contribution to music and to me. And uh, I really think you can walk away from this feeling proud and, and uh, of what you've done. And I look forward to what you're going to do in the future, man. I really appreciate uh, everything you've done. So um, I'm going to let you get back oh, to being a new dad. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Go hold that baby, and we'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Bye-bye, man. All right, guys. That was my conversation with Ben Wyman from Dillinger Escape Plan, Draft Tongue Orchestra, and Party Smashers Incorporated. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I had a great time chatting with Ben. Really inspirational dude, and uh, all the best to him and his family. Um, so, as usual, we are on purepleasurepodcast.com. You can always go to the website for all the latest updates, episodes, show notes. Uh, We've got Bob from the Bob and Katie show doing the show notes now. So they have been updated uh, starting at episode 22, I believe, uh, with Ian Mackay. And you can find that uh, over at the website uh, and all the stuff we talk about, uh, what time those conversations come in. Uh, Bob does a really great job on that. So definitely check out the Bob and Katie show uh, on iTunes uh, if you get a chance. Uh, Really good dude. So... Um, we are on Instagram and Twitter, uh, stickers are up in the store. Amazon affiliate link is on the site. Uh, there's a donate button on the site. If you want to donate to the show, help us keep the lights on. Uh, but we do enjoy having you guys here every week on Adobe radio at 6 PM Eastern on Saturdays and then available on iTunes right afterwards for your downloading pleasure. So, uh, another good week come and gone and we got great stuff coming next week. So stay tuned and we'll see you on the radio. What's up, guys? This is Dewey from Pure Pleasure, and I want to tell you about Jabberjaw Media. Jabberjaw Media is an independent talk and entertainment podcast network. We're proud members of the network and encourage you to check out many of the other shows on the network. Just this week, Jabberjaw added five more podcasts to the network, including three new music-based podcasts, Poor Taste, a cocktail-based podcast, and Too Old to Date, a scripted comedy podcast based in New York City. These shows add to the already amazing roster of music-based shows, which have been a part of the network since its inception. Head over to JabberjawMedia.com for more information on all these shows. See you soon. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. 
Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with guests about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of The Offspring, Thrice, Rancid, Rise Against, and more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com.